ahead and uh, open up your Bibles to um, uh, James chapter 4 and Hebrews 10. Uh, James 4 and uh, Hebrews 10. We're uh, nearing the end of our class. Uh, we've been going for a couple of months now. Our, our last uh, parenting class is actually the last Sunday in, in August, so I think this is our ninth lesson of the 12 uh, that I have planned. should be in uh, James 4 and, and Hebrews 10. Uh, as always, we'll start out answering some of the questions that have been turned in. Uh, question number one, is humiliation and embarrassment a good form of discipline? Uh, as I mentioned to you, I, I think, uh, by and large, whenever possible, you know, we should handle all the discipline we do privately. And the primary reason for that is, is then nobody's ego is involved. Uh, the kid's ego is involved, and your ego gets involved whenever we try to handle things publicly. And, and what that means is then we, we don't make as good of decisions as we could. Uh, on the other hand, um, I would say it was probably pretty uh, embarrassing for David when God chose to smite Uzzah uh, publicly, when David was uh, bringing the ark into uh, Jerusalem on a cart instead of being carried by the priests. I would think it was probably pretty embarrassing for Peter when uh, Jesus publicly said to him, get behind me, Satan, you know, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be uh, of men. And so what I would say is that uh, I would make embarrassment uh, more of an, a rare thing than some commonly way that you handle uh, your children. I mean, for instance, if you have a teenager and, you know, whatever is going on and part of your discipline is they have to sit with you instead of in the teen section, that's going to be embarrassing for them. But, you know, sometimes, um, you know, that helps. But I, I don't think it should be the normal way you handle uh, discipline. Question number two, at what point should you tell your child they shouldn't do a sport or activity? Uh, I'm sure this is related to last week. You know, because we started talking about uh, how to teach our children character. And the first character attribute we talked about was uh, teaching them to identify with the gender, you know, that God chose uh, for them. And so uh, that's the context in which I took this. And uh, I, I'm just going to repeat this because I, I, it's so important that we let it sink, th sink in. I mean, our culture is actively trying to teach our children something other than identify with the gender God chose for you. I mean, it is actively doing so. I mean, in television shows, kids' cartoons, I mean, you, you, you name it, everywhere. And so in our day and age, this is not something that you mess with. And so what I would say to you is I, I would recommend that you never let your child start anything that might later cause them uh, to struggle identifying uh, with their gender. And, and as I said last week, I, I don't believe in some super narrow definition of masculinity or, or, or femininity. I, I think it's fine if your girls play sports. I think it's fine if your boy sings or plays musical instruments. All, all that's fine. Uh, but I would be really careful. Because remember, sometimes at, at four or five, you can't really tell for sure I mean, who's going to struggle at 12 or 13 or 14 or 15? So, so just don't start. I mean, don't start your girl playing football. I mean, don't start your girl on the boys' wrestling program. I mean, just don't start that stuff. Don't, uh, don't, don't start your boy, uh, you know, in fashion design and sewing. I mean, just don't do it. Don't start him in dance. I mean, just don't do that stuff. 
and um, wh whatever they end up missing uh, by that, um, you'll be glad someday when, when your child just is content uh, to be whatever gender God designed them uh, to be. Question number three, should I correct my kids for talking, and this is a crude word, I'm, I'm not, don't talk like this, uh, should I correct my kid for talking about balls? Uh, I, I, personally, I've never liked that kind of talk. Um, I, I think that is cruder than a, a Christian should talk. Uh, I mean, you could add to that words like, you know, darn or friggin' or those kinds of things. I never cared for that. Now, in our particular house, we didn't discipline our boys for that. We just said, don't talk like that. Now, if you want to discipline your children for that and, and go farther, go ahead. But, uh, you know, in my view, in, in the scheme of offenses, you know, uh, that you discipline for, you know, that, that was just not that important to us. Now, if it's super important to you, you know, make a bigger emphasis uh, of it. But, but I don't like that kind of talk. Uh, question number four, uh, I read an article about parents drug testing their kids. What are your thoughts? Uh, the first thing I would say is that if you have older kids, the, the first thing I would always recommend is be really, really, really careful about making false accusations. And um, I, I just I can't emphasize that enough. Uh, the second thing I would say is that if, if you do it, uh, do it privately uh, unless your other kids are older and they know that you have a child with drug problems. Um, the bottom line is I, I have no issues with you doing that as a parent. And, in fact, I would recommend it if you have an older child that's had some issues like this and you're afraid of what kind of influence or things they're bringing in your house, you know, do that. And, uh, you know, if your child doesn't like it, they can move out. Uh, but I, I see no issue doing that if you uh, feel like you uh, need to. Question number five, how do I counteract society demanding my child sit and listen with a healthy balance uh, of of strength and again this question I, I took as being related to you know uh, we talked a little bit about people medicating their children and, and, and things uh, like that um, what I would say is that nearly every child is going to struggle with this whole idea to sit and listen you know I, I think for the great majority of, of children that is learned behavior it is not something that most three-year-olds come out of the womb and they like to sit and listen. Now, there's an occasional one like that, but, but most of them don't. Most of the kids, you're going to have to teach them that. And so what I would say, start uh, when they're toddlers uh, to teach them that. I mean, to learn to sit and listen, it's an important life skill. You know, they are not going to be able to effectively learn in school. They're not going to be effectively able to learn in church. Uh, and depending on the kind of job they had, you're not, they're not going to be effective in their workplace. And, and so this is a good skill to teach them and begin young. What I would recommend you not do is sit them in front of uh, a screen uh, for hours of, uh, a day and just assume that because they can sit and watch cartoons for a long time or play a video game for a long time that they're going to be able to sit and listen. Uh, I read this, and, and, I, and I honestly, I, I didn't believe it when I read it. And what the article said was that the average children's cartoon changes the scene every three seconds. And I said, nah. And so I got on Cartoon Network and watched some kids' cartoons, and, and I couldn't believe it. I mean, basically, they're teaching your children not 
to be able to sit and follow a subject for a long period of time. They're teaching the opposite. And, 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 and so that, that is a terrible thing to do. I mean, sitting there and staying on the subject, um, you know, that's the skill you're trying to teach them. You say, well, Brother Wally, I'm an adult and my mind wanders. So does mine. All the time. And I, I, I had to learn ways and is still working on ways to try to concentrate on, on what I'm sitting there uh, to do. You know, I, I think it's normal for everybody's mind to wander, and, and we have to learn uh, to do that. And, and that's why we're there as parents, to, to help our, our children uh, with that. And uh, you know what? I mean, some kids, they're high-energy kids. You know, look at their diet. You know, some kids just can't eat everything and, and, and be under control when they need to be under control. I mean, take a strong look at their diet. Maybe you, they can't handle sugar. Maybe they can't handle caffeine and you're, you're giving them Coke or Mountain Dew or whatever. Uh, you, you know what? But, but be smarter about this stuff than that than just saying, wow, my kid can't sit there. I need to give him uh, medication. And I say to you again, the standard medication for some kid they diagnose with ADHD is a low dose of speed, literally. And I just don't think that's good. And uh, not implying that it's never needed. I'm just saying, listen, when the 20% of our kids are on that, that you know, and, and a generation ago, that's not true. I mean, something's wrong. Um, some interesting but not uh, always serious quotes. Number one, it kills you to see your children grow up, uh, but it would kill you more quickly if they didn't. Uh, number two, children are a great comfort in our old age, and uh, they help us reach it faster. <laughs> uh, a couple of thoughts uh, to ponder when we think about parenting. Number one, uh, faith in God and how you've raised your children involves risk and, in, and uh, letting them make some mistakes. Uh, number two, don't shield your children from all the consequences of their behavior, uh, even when it's painful. I, I, I wish I could get this through every mom's head. I, I really do. I mean, you have your mom goggles and you're trying to spare your child from every pain. Listen, God doesn't do that with his children. And, and I get why you, you, you want to, but, but, but uh, sometimes... If you don't let them pay the price for their bad decisions at 5 and 7 and 10 and 12, eventually they're going to get to the age where you're not going to be able to protect them anymore and the consequences are bigger. And so please just don't do that. Number three, too much freedom for kids making spiritual decisions is inconsistent with other decisions we force upon them. Well, my, my 15-year-old, they don't want to come to church, so I let them stay home. Well, do you let them stay away from the dentist? Or do you see what's best for them as their parent and make them go to the dentist and go to church? Um, I don't have all the answers. Uh, I tell you that every week. Uh, I mean, we, uh, by the grace of God, have raised three boys. I've been through a lot, uh, seen a lot with our kids and, and other kids that really want to help you. And uh, we begin, of course, with the Bible because our Heavenly Father knows more about what it takes to have a life that's good and blessed than we do. And so we search first for what he has uh, to say uh, about it. And um, last week we talked about uh, teaching our children to identify with their gender. We talked about how to do that and, and why to do that. Uh, remember, men and women are equal, but they are not the same. 
And that's an important distinction for us to make as uh, Christians. And uh, so today I want to move on to another subject, even though we certainly could have spent more time on that, but our, tw- our class is only a 12-week class. You know, one of the things that uh, you and I and our children are, are constantly bombarded with uh, today in secular media and in uh, institu- educational institutions of all sorts is this, the importance of self-esteem. I mean, this whole idea of making sure our kids have enough self-esteem has caused, you know, some institutions and teachers to stop, like, giving Fs. Uh, They don't correct papers with red ink because the red ink might make them feel bad. Um, Changing the grading system to, to make sure that nobody fails. And, and this all is, is under the guise of being so, uh, sensitive to their self-esteem. Um, we're constantly bombarded with this idea that every child needs to be taught that they're a winner in everything. Uh, when our boys were young, uh, some of the sports leagues uh, they played in, you know, uh, the, the coaches lied to them after the game and told them it was a tie. Uh, when we got in the car, we always told them the truth. Uh, we felt like it was more important to be honest with our children and to teach them how to lose when you lose. Uh, Sometimes you're going to lose. I don't think anybody should like to lose. I mean, if you like to lose, you're probably just going to lose at everything. Uh, On the other hand, you you know what? Learning how to lose, it's learning how to not be the best in everything you approach. You know, that's a part of life. Uh, It's okay to come to the realization that, you know, in this particular area of life, I prepared as well as I could prepare. I performed as well as I could perform. And you know what? I still wasn't the best. I'm going to make this statement probably five or seven or ten times in this lesson. This is a really important thought when it comes to this whole issue of self-esteem. Here it is. It is not the child with the highest view of themselves who succeeds. It is the child with the most realistic view of their strengths and weaknesses that succeeds. I want you to let that sink in. It is not the child with the highest view of themselves that succeeds is this child with the most realistic view of their strengths and weaknesses who succeeds. Uh, anybody ever used to watch American Idol? I don't even know if it's still on. Anybody ever watch that? Uh, I used to watch the early rounds of, of that, and I didn't watch the later rounds because I don't listen to secular music, but there's a lot of uh, entertainment value in, in the early rounds. Uh, maybe it's just my cruel heart, too. Uh, but... Basically, what would happen is in the early rounds, even though they had lots of tryouts, they would purposely let some people go through and perform on national television who thought they were great singers, but who were terrible. And if you want to understand the end product of somebody who thinks they're great at something that they're not good at at all, that's what it is. And that is not the product that, that, that is not what any of us want for any of our children. It is not the child who thinks most highly of themselves who succeeds. It is the child who has the most realistic view of their strengths and weaknesses that succeed. 
You may or may not be surprised that the dictionary defines self-esteem as pride in oneself. And I I get that depending on what those words mean, you know. uh, uh, But generally speaking, you know, the way we typically use the word pride and the way the Bible uses the word pride, you know what, uh, pride in oneself, that's not a good thing. So we have a few questions. Should making sure our children have good self-esteem be the focus of a Christian parent? Uh, Is losing it something the worst thing that could ever happen to our children? What is a good, healthy, uh, biblical view of oneself to teach our children? How do we teach them that? Is it actually good? And I've known parents to do this. They literally, while their child is growing up, they let their child beat them at every game. In fact, you might be doing that. I, I, I mean, I, I'm, 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 not, I, I'm, I'm trying to get you to think about what you're doing. You really think that when your child turns 15, after they've beat you at everything their entire life, they're interested in your advice. I mean, think about that. You teach your child from toddlerhood that they're superior to you all their life, and then when they're 15, wow, let me respect what my mom and dad have to say. I'm not implying you need to pound them at Candyland. What I am clearly saying is you need to ask yourself, is it really healthy for them to have to win at everything? should be in your Bible in James chapter 4. Uh, verse 10, James 4.10 says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall live you up, uh, lift you up. Uh, great verse. You should also have your hand in Hebrews 10. This verse is not as well known, but just as much in the Word of God. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 35 says, Cast not away therefore your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. Now, we're not as familiar with that, but the same book that says, Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up, also teaches us that there's a kind of confidence that we are supposed to have that we're not supposed to give up. There's a kind of healthy confidence that is not pride. But when it becomes pride, it's something that God hates. Uh, There is a great need for healthy confidence we have ourselves and give to our children. By the way, you'll never give your children healthy confidence in themselves as long as you call them dirt balls and stupid and worthless and those kinds of things. By the way, you'll never give your child healthy confidence if they get their confidence only when they win. You'll never give your child healthy confidence as long as you teach them to find their confidence and identity and what other people think about them. You know, if you let culture be the one to determine your child's healthy confidence, understand that they will never have it because what our, our culture looks for in beauty and success and wealth and lifestyle is something that A, no one can always match up to and, and B, many times is something a Christian should not match up to. If you're here and you're trying to relive your social struggles in your children that that you had as a child, 
So my kid's not going to go through what I went through, and so you go to, go to all these lengths to make sure your child fits in everywhere they go. You, you, listen, you are setting yourself and your child up. Uh, how many people have ever seen that show on television, Toddlers and Tierras? Uh, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a people person, and, and so I will watch this stuff a few times, because just I, I'm always interested, what makes these people tick? And it, it's a show about people who put their little girls in beauty pageants. And basically, you mean you got little girls that are four and five and six and eight and nine years old, and their parents drive them all over and spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars on special outfits for them and, and all these special things they do, and uh, they, uh, you know, to try to get them to win these beauty contests. And I don't, this is going to sound nasty, but please, uh, I don't mean as nasty as it sounds. If genetics means anything, those girls are not going to be as beautiful when they get older because their parents are on television and I can see them. And it it, it makes me just angry every time I watch it because what I see is parents setting up their child to determine their self-image on what other people think about their physical beauty. And in most cases, nobody is going to have that, and what they're doing is they're setting up their child to be hurt really, really badly. I don't think that's why God gave us our children. There's a need for healthy confidence. Uh, There's need for humility, humility before God, to realize who God is, who we are, to take our rightful place before Him. And as you've heard me say so many times in this church, humility is not thinking less of yourself so much as it is thinking about yourself less. Most of the time, our world revolves around us and everything that happens, we interpret in how it affects us. That's thinking about ourselves all the time. Humility is not doing that. Humility is not, I'm a worthless piece of dirt. That's not humility. It is this proper balance of confidence and humility that we try to embrace ourselves and and try to teach to our children that helps them in the future the right kind of self-esteem. Listen, if if a person doesn't have a healthy view of themselves, they'll never help anybody else. They will either think so highly of themselves that nobody else will be worth bothering with, or they will think so least little of themselves that they won't think they have anything to offer. Neither are good. If a person doesn't have the right thing for themselves, even if they uh, do something, they'll be too proud for God to bless it. And if they're uh, on the other end of the spectrum, they will don't believe they have anything they can do. They'll be too sheepish to even try anything. Listen, this is an important thing to find in ourselves and to teach our children, which gets us to our subject for uh, today, how can I give my child a healthy view of themselves? Uh, go to 2 Timothy chapter 1. How can I teach my child a healthy view of themselves? I hope these kind of introductory thoughts have gotten you to the place where you're, you're, you're thinking differently about this than our culture is trying to jam down our throats. 
a healthy self-confidence and humility, genuine humility. When 2 Timothy chapter 1, here's the first thing. You need to teach them to believe they are somebody with potential and gifted and unique. Notice in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8, it says, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner. Be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel, according to the power of God. Here it is. Uh, who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our, own, our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Did you know that God gave every human being a purpose in Christ Jesus before the world began? By the way, notice that purpose is in Christ, and so no one will fulfill that until they're first in Christ. No matter who you are, no matter who your child is, before God did anything, He had a purpose in Christ for them. By the way, that's a great thing to think about. Listen, it is normal human development to just get to the place where you're under, okay, where do I fit in? What do I have that I can offer? What can I do that matters? And it ought to mean something to us, and we ought to teach this to our children, that God did give everybody something to do that matters. Now, that is different than our society's message. See, our culture teaches us and our children that the greatest fulfillment comes by doing what you want to do. You make a bucket list of what you want to do, and, and then you do that. Uh, listen, uh, according to God, the greatest fulfillment in life comes from finding what God purposed for us to do and doing that. Human value, it's not determined by how much you win or uh, whether you're better than somebody else or uh, if you have a higher position or a fancier title. Human value doesn't come from that. Human value comes from the fact that we're made in the image of our Creator and there is a purpose and plan for each one of us in Christ. Do you teach that? Do you know that about yourself? See, healthy self-esteem doesn't come because a child achieves in this world. It comes because we find and do what God made us to do. It doesn't come by being the best at everything. You know, it is really important our children understand that their value doesn't come because they have more than somebody else or they're better than somebody else. Their value comes because of who they are in Christ, and they have something they can do that matters. See, your child doesn't have to believe they can do more than others, but they have to believe they can do something. I want you to think about that. Your child must believe that they have something they can do that matters. That, that's why you should, you should say you're a good soccer player instead of you're the best player on the team. That's why you should say, hey, you know, you're a good-looking kid, not, hey, you're the most beautiful kid there. That, that, that's why you should say to, to your child, you can do it, not, hey, you're the best. They're different. Do you see? It's shaping their, their thinking and, and how they view themselves. If your child doesn't think well of themselves, they're going to struggle. 
Uh, you might call this being comfortable in your own skin. And this is a group of adults, I have no doubt, but in this room, there are people, and you're an adult, and you're still not comfortable in your own skin. You're not comfortable with who you are, and you're not comfortable with who you're not. Some people never become that. One of the reasons I can joke about being bald is I'm comfortable with it. I, I would prefer I had hair. But probably, I mean, I have enough prize as is. You know, if God would give me a full head of hair, who knows? Man, I'd look in the mirror more, and she would just stare and blink. No, honestly, comfortable in our own skin, comfortable with what we are, comfortable with what we're not. And and to become that ourselves, to get there that we're satisfied with who God made us to be and who He made us not to be, I mean, that is a great gift to give our children when we can give it to them. Now, I often talk about... um, the home I grew up on, and it kind of, uh, you know, because I didn't really grow up in a Christian home. I had good parents, but not what I would describe uh, today as Christian parents. And um, it really grieves my mom, you know, um, when she hears stuff like that. Uh, but I'll tell you one thing my mom did really good at is she completely convinced myself and my three sisters, all of us, completely convinced us that anything we put our mind to do, we could do. She completely convinced us that we always had something to offer if we put our heart in it. Completely. And I was the kid, because I was a really, really cocky kid, that everybody felt like it was their mission to knock me down two pegs. That was every adult's mission in my life, other than my mother. And somehow, someway, uh, even through me, she just put so deeply in my heart. I don't know if it was, uh, she can't get a jar open. She says, oh man, you're so strong. Come over and get this jar open. I can't get it. I I don't, I mean, she did a hundred things like that just to simply cause me and my sisters to believe in ourselves that we had something. And that is a great gift to give your children. And they get this by watching us. Some adults say, well, you know what, I'm not going to do anything. I can't do this as well as this person. I can't do that as well as that person, so I'm going to do nothing. How do you teach your children to value their gifts when that's your attitude? Remember, it is not the child with the highest view of themselves who succeeds. It is the child with the most realistic view of their strengths and weaknesses who succeeds. It's okay to not be good at everything. It's okay to be only okay at some things. Do you know what? It's okay to be bad at some things. What's not okay is to say, do you know what, there's nothing I can do, because that's a lie. How do you give your children a healthy view of themselves? Go to Exodus chapter 20, or 10. Exodus chapter 10. I think everybody struggles with their view of themselves. I think everybody struggles with the view of themselves. And, um, and so your kids struggling with this, is, it's not unusual. Everybody does. And you know what? Sometimes you, you can do everything you're supposed to do, and they're still going to struggle with this greatly. But you know what? You can, 
this is the way to help them for as much as they will let you help them. How can I give my child a healthy view of themselves? Here's number two. Teach them a right view of who God is. Now that may seem silly, but understand, if we don't have a right view of who God is, how are we going to understand who we are? And if we make God too small and us too big, how do we have a right view of ourselves? And if we make God too big and us too small, and so he's just distant and unconcerned, how do we have a right view of ourselves? Um, Exodus chapter 10, in verse 1, the, the Lord here makes a pretty interesting statement in, in the realm of parenting. He says in Exodus 10, 1, it says, The Lord God said unto Moses, Go in unto Pharaoh, uh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I might shew uh, these my uh, signs before him, and that thou mayest tell in the ears of thy son and of thy son's sons what things I have wrought in Egypt, and my signs which I have done among them, that ye may know how that I am the Lord. Did you notice what God just told Moses to tell parents and grandparents to teach their children? Everything God did in Egypt. Oh, by the way, in Egypt, God killed fish, <laughs> frogs, cattle, uh, people who were the firstborn. God says, I want you to make sure you teach your children everything about me. And I want that to sink in a little bit because sometimes we feel like uh, we, we fail on one end of the spectrum or, or another. And, and some people, they're, they're afraid to, to tell their children, you know, that, you know, wow, would Jesus, he forgave the people who were driving the nails in his hands. And he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And he forgave a thief when the thief was dying on the cross next to him. And we're afraid to teach our children the goodness and the love of God because we're afraid that they'll take sin too lightly. Or other people, they're afraid to teach... Uh, the tougher side of God and they want to whitewash God and, and, and they feel like if I teach God like He's really is, my children might not like Him. Do you really think it's better that they like a God that's not true? And, and, and so if we're going to help our children have a self, uh, healthy image of themselves, I mean, they must understand who God is and who they are, who God isn't. Don't be afraid just to teach God as He is. So if I teach that God will forgive sins like that, my teenager, listen, that's the way God is. He's a gracious, merciful, loving God. If I teach my children that Jesus uh, rebuked the Pharisees and He called them uh, whited sepulchers and uh, vipers and uh, all those things, my kids might be mean. Uh, listen, God is who He is. And no one has a healthy view of themselves unless they have a healthy view of God. Uh, remember, it is not the child who thinks most highly of themselves that succeeds. It is a child who has the most accurate view of their strengths and weakness that succeeds. Go to your Bible to Deuteronomy chapter 10. We're just teaching how to, talking about how to teach our children to have a healthy view of themselves. Deuteronomy 10, we... 
They're going to have to believe that they are somebody, that they have gifts from God. There's a purpose to their life. They're going to need to understand God for who God really is. To have a healthy view of themselves. And in Deuteronomy 10, how can I teach my child a healthy view of themselves? Uh, you need to teach your children to be sensitive to God's will in their life. Uh, to me, this is just a, an interesting place in the Bible because, and, and, and maybe you've never been like this, but before I was saved and um, before I knew much about the Bible, this was my attitude. If I obey God, God's going to take away all my fun. And that all the rules that, God's had, that God has and, and the way He wants people to live, it's just a joy stealer. That, that was my attitude. And by the way, that's the general attitude of, of our culture. That, that's why our culture doesn't live for God. By the way, that's why Christians don't live for God. If Christians really believed they'd be better off living faithfully, committed, sacrificial lives, they would live them. But they don't believe that. So, so this is a very interesting section of Scripture to me. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, and verse 12, it says, And now, Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee? But to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command thee this day for thy good. And I've got that little phrase underlined in my Bible because he just gave a bunch of rules and then I've got this marked in the margin of my Bible, the reason for rules. I mean, understand, if your child lives a disobedient life to God, they're not going to live a blessed life. We want our children to live blessed lives. <laughs> we want them to have joy. We want them to have peace. That will never come being like our world and living like this world tells them to live. That comes by obeying God. God has a will for their life, and they would be better off to do it. And by the way, as a parent, it's really easy to struggle not only just with God's will for our own life, but God's will for our children's lives. See, the average parent wants to, their child to have enough God in their life to stay out of prison, to do well in school, to stay out of trouble, to have things go decently well in their life. The average parent is afraid that their child is sold out to God because they're afraid that if their child really lives for God, their child might suffer socially, their child might not make as much money, and that God might move them somewhere in the middle of a jungle. You know, in reality, almost no one who is a follower of Jesus gives up their career and works in full-time ministry. I mean, we probably need 100 or 200 faithful Christian lay people for every person who does that, and probably 1,000 faithful Christian lay people for everybody that goes to Africa. I'm not implying that God doesn't have those things and that if God has that for them, they shouldn't do that. That's what God asked for from me. He said, you know what? I don't want you to be an engineer anymore. I want you to be a preacher. And you know what? I, I just I have to tell you, uh, it's not always easy, but man, I can't describe the joy and peace and satisfaction I have in general just in my life. I, man, I am... My wife and I are happy. Enjoyed our children. When they were home, I enjoyed them now that they're adults. 
You know, God's plan is not an oppressive plan. And if we don't emphasize to our children the importance of obeying God, you know what? They will never have a good view of themselves because they will just be living under the curse and the judgment of God all their life, and that's a terrible way to live. So, Brother Wally, how can I teach him this? Well, first thing you need to do is model being an obedient, victorious Christian yourself. By the way, that means that you just serve Christ and you just stop complaining about, when I go to his church, did you hear what such and so said? Man, this ministry is so hard. Stop. Stop. I mean, we all get pushed down that rat hole every once in a while, but you know what? By and large, we should just be living a joyful, victorious Christian life and model that to your children. That's how you teach them this. For starters, you know what? Encourage them when they seek to try to follow God. You know what? If your child does something for the Lord and hurts them socially a little bit, just bite your lip and let them suffer a little bit. It is not the child with the highest view of themselves that succeeds. It is the child with the most realistic view of their strengths and weaknesses that succeeds. It's okay to not be great at everything. It's okay to be okay at some things. It's okay to be not good at all at some things. It's just not okay to decide that you have no purpose in life or that following God's rules are going to be painful and hurt you or that God's will is just not good for them. When we do these things, it will help our children better relate with themselves and with their God. Uh, you should have a little piece of paper, and if you have any questions, just write them down and uh, stick them up here. If you don't have any questions, just turn in a blank piece of paper so everybody can genuinely just turn in uh, uh, something. If you have a good, snarky, sarcastic remark to make, I always enjoy those too. Uh, So just uh, fill it out and set them up there.